We are approaching the feast of Shavuot, and there is something that I'd like you to deeply consider. What would it be that Yeshua addresses if he was to be on earth today in his ministry as he was in the first century? If you think about it, Mount Sinai happened thousands of years ago. The law of God is delivered to Israel through Moses. And as time passes by and as man wrestles with this law given by the father, what ends up happening is many groups start forming many of their own traditions and man-made teachings surrounding how the law ought to be kept. And as they consider these things and build up these walls and tie these heavy burdens to place on the shoulders of men, we have Yeshua come in the first century. And that is perhaps the primary thing that he goes after. He speaks about these certain Pharisees over and over and over again who tie heavy burdens that not they nor their ancestors could bear and put it on the shoulders of men, yet they were not willing nor able to even lift it with their own finger. You see, these burdens is what kept people from actual obedience to the law of God because it removed them from the simplicity of God's word and it made them feel more alienated than ever from the one who gave the biblical commandment because they are too preoccupied with traditions instead. And so I want to submit to you now that something much of the same but slightly different has happened. You see, Satan's tactic, his plans stay the same. He's not really smart. Because what ultimately happens is God comes and he sends his Holy Spirit, right? Yeshua says, I am descend. It's good that I go because I'm descending my Holy Spirit upon you. That's going to equip you, enable you to keep that law. But ultimately, what happened? I mean, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. People speak in tongues, they prophesy. And throughout that book of Acts, people are just receiving the Holy Spirit left and right. They're speaking in tongues everywhere. There are these outward signs happening. Heavens open up. And today, you'd scratch your head and say, what happened? I want to submit to you that the same thing happened that happened in the first century to the law. When if, if Yeshua was walking around here today, he would still speak to those certain Pharisees who tie heavy burdens on those who try to keep the law. But he would speak the same way to the Christians who have done to the spirit, which the Pharisees have done to the law. They have tied heavy burdens around how to walk in the Holy Spirit on the shoulders of men. And these heavy burdens have kept men from walking in the simplicity of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Yeshua intended for them to walk in. And so we are standing here at Shavuot once again today. And yet many people will have this Shavuot in their life, yet see nothing of what happened at Shavuot 2000 years ago because they are laden with burdens, false teachings, ideas about the Holy Spirit. And that's why people don't get baptized in the Holy Spirit like the way they used to. Because in Acts chapter 2, no one had any preconceived ideas, no assumptions, no, no, no ideas of what this is supposed to look like or not look like. And so they had the freedom to devote their bodies and lives and souls totally to the Father and His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit could, without restriction, move in the assembly. But yet today, 
there are many restrictions that men have put in front of what he's supposed to look like, what he's supposed to move like, and what he's not supposed to look like. Now, don't get me wrong, brothers and sisters. There is indeed a counterfeit. There is indeed a false spirit that has entered the church and has done many things, right, of that sort that are imitating, trying to imitate what the Holy Spirit does, but is laden with falsehood. Now, what is the enemy's plan with that? Is it not to turn you away from the real thing? That is the plan of the enemy with the counterfeit. But the simplicity of the Bible, of what the Holy Spirit is, how he moves, remains the same, untouched. And so we cannot make excuses of abuse and say, I saw abuse in a church regarding the Holy Spirit, therefore I am turned off and will turn away from the true works of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's just not a good excuse because the true Holy Spirit is laid bare for all to see in the Bible. You have the same Bible that I do and we see who he is and how he moves in there. So if he moves in the Bible, the word of God in a certain way, but yet in your life, he doesn't look that way. He does not do that in the assembly. There's something wrong. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that the same thing that the Pharisees did in that they put burdens on men, teachings about the law that were inaccurate, and they themselves were not able to do them. That was the marker. Yeshua continuously pointed out their hypocrisy, how they taught regarding the law of God, yet the things they taught they did not do because no one could. It's, it's a ridiculous extra commandments. And in the same way, there are many today who teach regarding what speaking in tongues is supposed to look like. They teach regarding what prophecy is supposed to look like. They teach regarding what the gift of healing is supposed to and supposed to not look like. They teach regarding all the gifts and movings of the Spirit. Yet when you look at their life, they are not willing to lift it up with their finger. They themselves do not do these things. They themselves do not see these things in their church being exercised. Pastor, if you want to teach someone about the gift of tongues, yet no one in your church practices it, you ought to not teach on it because there's something wrong with your teaching on the gift if it has restricted everyone in your church or anyone in your church from practicing it. And so it goes with all the spiritual gifts. So today we're going to talk about four Holy Spirit burdens, four things that people have laid as burdens upon others and has restricted the move of the Holy Spirit, quenched the Holy Spirit in our midst. The first I want to talk about is this teaching that everyone must speak in tongues, that if you do not speak in tongues, you are not accepted by God. You are not saved. You do not have the baptism of, baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's something wrong with you and there's obviously something you're doing wrong or God isn't at concern with you because look around. Everyone else is speaking in tongues in this church, yet you are not. So what's wrong with you? You see, brothers and sisters, this makes people feel alienated from fellowship and God. It makes them uh, uh, feel like something is wrong. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, I mean, God says, he, he goes, do all possess gift of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, right? Through Paul, this is being written that not everyone does all the gifts. And the gift of speaking in tongues is a, a glorious gift from the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. I love it. But does everyone speak in tongues? Is it for everyone? No, there are many people who it is for, who has a desire in their heart and they should seek it out. But to say that, well, why don't you do it? And to force it upon people 
that is a burden that actually draws people further from the Holy Spirit because they feel alienated. Let's talk about number two. My Holy Spirit baptism must look the same way as others to be legitimate. This idea that if if you are Holy Spirit baptized, that experience must look like this experience that someone else had or that or that person had. And if it's not, then I need to keep looking, keep searching for that experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit that someone else has had so that I can be used by God, so that I can be accepted, so I can feel like I'm doing something profitable in God's kingdom. And so we're running after this baptism of the Holy Spirit, even if we've already received it. Now, this is something we need to really consider deeply. There is good, great profit in pursuing the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it's not the same as getting saved, right? And and, and there is great profit in that. But if you have received it, it doesn't have to look like the person next to you. I mean, let's just look at some biblical examples even. When Yeshua, when Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit, what happens? The heavens open up. There's a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Right? So the father proclaiming this towards Yeshua, does this need to happen every time this sign from heaven, every time someone gets baptized because it happened in the life of Yeshua? Well, of course not. Look at the eunuch, right? The the eunuch is baptized, and as he comes up out of the water, the man who baptized him, Philip, use what word you want, but basically teleported away. He vanishes, and he finds himself in another city immediately. This is a sign from heaven to the eunuch. He rejoices. He says, wow, what has just happened to me? Look at what just happened. God has done something in my life, right? Another sign from heaven. So we have God speaking from heaven. We have the eunuch seeing this with Philip, right? So we can we can easily go and be like, well, look, what's the sign? What's going to be the sign uh, from heaven in my life, right? Am I going to, the, the person who baptizes me, they're going to need to teleport for it to be legit. Of course, we wouldn't think that. But we do that with other things when we look at others and we see how they experience that we listen to their experiences. You see, brothers and sisters, I mean, think about, let's look at another example, the disciples, right? The disciples, they're in there, they're there with Yeshua just after he was, uh, he's, he's raised from the dead. He speaks to them. And what does he say? Okay. He goes and he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. I'll be honest. When I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I did not see heaven open with a voice come out and say something. I did not have the man who baptized me in the Holy Spirit go to a different place, like teleported. I did not have Yeshua breathing on me in that way. Uh, what else? Okay, we have what? Acts 2. We have oftentimes, like in Acts 2, people speaking in tongues and prophesying the moment that they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We have Acts 19.6. We have Paul laying hands on them and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. I did not have anyone lay hands on me. I did not have speaking in tongues nor prophesying in that moment immediately. In fact, none of these things in my personal life happened to me when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in that moment. Wow. Like, and, and, and really, I can question then. I could be like, well, was I baptized in the Holy Spirit? But see, here's the, the thing, brothers and sisters. The Father works differently with each person. Our experiences will differ. 
But the, the question really is, is what is the fruit? Is there fruit of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is there spiritual gifts that started to manifest in your life? And, and I encourage you to go and have a look at our teaching, which I'm going to link up here for you, called the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, where I go through all the signs that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, what it looks like and what the scripture says and why it's not the same as salvation or water baptism. So my point is just this, brothers and sisters, that some have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they're now in pursuit of it still because they're looking for an experience. And because that expectation that they had hasn't lined up with their experience yet, they're in a cycle of seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit instead of walking out what they already have. And so this is why it's so important for us to have proper teaching about this. Let's look at another burden of the Holy Spirit that I have witnessed. Number three is similar to the first one, but different. You see, we can say, I don't walk in X, Y, or Z gift, and therefore I'm struggling to find approval in God, or I don't see the same results as someone else in how they're walking in the Holy Spirit. What's wrong with me and what's causing God to not use me? And this is very easy to fall into. This is what Satan, the enemy, wants. He wants us to feel guilty, shame, and condemned because we feel like we're not being profitable for God's kingdom. We're afraid that he will not be telling us, well done, good and faithful servant. And we're trying to work our way up to a standard until we feel like, well, maybe now God will approve of me. What we must understand that this walking in the spirit is not about this fulfilling this burden of trying to find approval in God. You see, the point is of it all, the point of you receiving the Holy Spirit is because you aren't adequate of your own accord. You are not able to save yourself. You're not able to do the works that Yeshua did alone. And so it is by the Holy Spirit that you you need him to even look to start looking more like Yeshua. But that means that all he needs, that God desires, is not more work from you and you trying to work your way into doing the things. But what he desires is an open heart. You see, there are seasons in our lives, times when we will go through growth patterns. We will learn things. We will not be used the same way as later in life when we have been trained and prepared for that calling. And so what I want to submit to you that is as we pursue these different seasons, as we go through these seasons, we must keep our eyes fixed on what God really wants from us. And what what does he want? He simply wants your heart. You see, what the Holy Spirit requires is a temple that is clean, a temple that is open, a temple that is that he is welcomed into. And so if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit saying, God, I don't have anything to offer you. God, I don't have, I can't speak well. I can't, I'm not a good people person. I'm afraid of people. I'm shy. I'm, you know, whatever. God, I'm not qualified. But yet what I do have, Lord, is I have on my heart and you can have all of it. I have my body. I put it on the altar for you. I give you everything. Please have your way in me. That's what you can offer. And that is what will have you hear the words. Well done, my good and faithful servant, because it is when you open yourself up to the father and you say, Lord, here I am, send me. 
where God sends you, how he uses you, the quote unquote results that you will witness with your own eyes. That's that's not up to you. It's up to the father. So when you say, Father, here I am, send me, you're saying, Lord, you can send me here, there or there. It's going to look different for each person. I'm content with where you want me. You see, brothers and sisters, if, if I could pick between standing on the stage of a million people in the crowd who I can tell the gospel to versus being where God actually wants me, and that's in a workplace with four co-workers who need to hear about Yeshua, I will pick the workplace with four co-workers because that's where God wants me. And everything else is vanity. I only care about where God wants me. So if I compare myself to the man who is on a stage with four million people being reached every day or whatever, that doesn't matter because I am being re- I am reaching the people that God put in front of me. I am reaching the child God entrusted to me to raise. I am reaching whatever. And so be concerned with your walk first. And yes, grab the opportunities. If God comes and he's, he opens a door, don't let that opportunity pass you by. If God calls you to a certain place, go to that place. Go to that person. Step out of your comfort zone. Take the risk, but don't compare to others. Here I am, Lord. Send me. So the number four burden of the Holy Spirit that men have placed on the shoulders of others is regarding false teachings on some of the spiritual gifts. Now, I'm just going to talk about a few here just so you can get the idea. One of the things that I'm most concerned about is what comes from the pulpits, from pastors and teachers. I'm not, and nor should we, be concerned about what the world is saying about the Holy Spirit. But see, when we have pastors and teachers talking about, for example, the gift of healing, stating things like, well, if if someone has the gift of healing, they should they should prove it by going to clean out all the hospitals. You know, that this kind of mocking rhetoric that we hear, which simply illustrates a great lack of knowledge of what the scriptures is, what the scriptures teach about the gift of healing. Because, well, Yeshua didn't go to clean out the hospitals in his city. He did not go and go and heal every leper, heal every person who has, is lame, every person who is sick. He did not do that because that's not what the gift of healing is supposed to be. It's not supposed to become this ticket of immorality while we are on earth, freeing us from every disease. The fact of the matter is people will continue to die. That is why we need salvation. Now, there are people who get healed. God desires that. He plans that for his glory. He does it. It's amazing. When we put people down, we say things like this. What we do is we create a fear in the hearts of men and an atmosphere in our churches surround that, that, that is so fearful regarding spiritual gifts that no one wants to step into that role in fear of being judged, looked down upon, or even disfellowshipped. Another example that is so unfortunate is the controversial spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. The main issue with it 
has been that people have come to say, well, speaking in tongues is only a known language. Whenever, one, whenever there's someone who speaks in tongues, but it's not a, a language that someone else understands, that means it's not speaking in tongues. But we forget that the whole point of the gift of tongues is to speak in an unknown language. That's why you need a gift of interpretation to understand what is being said. That is why Paul said, if you can speak in tongues, pray that you have the gift of interpretation so you can actually interpret what you're saying. In other words, the point is that without the gift of interpretation, people won't know what is being said. So if we have this requirement that we must understand what is being said, then we are missing the point, the very point of the gift of tongues in the first place, which is speaking in a language that no one understands. 1 Corinthians 14.2, Paul writes, The one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. No one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. The fear of God is the thing that promotes the spiritual gifts. The fear of man quenches the spiritual gifts and the moves of the Holy Spirit. And so when we have these false teachings that create fear of man regarding these gifts, people will not practice them and the spirit will not move. If you want to learn more about the gift of speaking in tongues, I am only scratching the surface, of course. This is a complex topic. Please go watch my speaking in tongues series, which I'm linking up here for you. Another one I want to talk about is how they, how many have sometimes said, whenever you speak in tongues, you're speaking for God. This is something I just recently heard. It was shocking for me, I'll be honest, to hear this, that whenever you're speaking in tongues, you need to act and understand that it is like you saying, thus says the Lord. And that way you are speaking for God whenever you speak in tongues. And I'll be honest with you, if, if that's the truth, no one is going to be speaking in tongues in your church. Because how many people are willing to stand up and say, thus says the Lord regarding whatever, even especially if they themselves are not even aware of what they are saying when they're speaking in tongues. Because, well, like we've read, no one understands, but God understands without an interpreter. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. The whole point of this all is that we should be testing the words that are received. When someone speaks in a tongue, there is hopefully someone who has an interpretation for that gift of tongues that's being spoken. And when they interpret it, yes, it can become a word from the Lord. It can become something that is very similar to a prophetic word. Praise God for that. But... Just because someone has a personal prayer language and they're praying in tongues doesn't mean they're saying, thus says the Lord, thus is the Lord. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 29, he says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. You see, he's talking about how people must be held accountable. In other words, there's someone who's going to come and listen, another prophet. If there's someone who's prophesying, another one who's a prophet comes and listens, weighs, and tests. If someone speaks in tongues, someone comes and weighs, listens, interprets, and, and tests the word. There is an atmosphere that is safe, 
that has some accountability and it's it's that means that someone can come in and, and work in a prophetic gift and not feel like they're gonna be stoned if they got it wrong because if you don't have the room to make a mistake as you are learning a spiritual gift how will you ever learn if you do not go up to someone and ask to pray for them to be, get healed and yet you have noticed what you have done wrong in the past, how will you get better in that gift? We learn from our mistakes. This is a process. But the thing is, is there has to be an environment where there is accountability, where someone can say, yes, this is a word from the Lord. Amen. Or they can say, hey, brother, that's awesome. What a, let's guide you this way. Let's guide you that way. Let's help you grow in this gift we want you to succeed in. Instead of crafting an environment that is hostile to the Spirit of God. Hostile to growing in spiritual gifts. How will we see Shavuot again restored back to us if we do not allow people the freedom to work in these gifts? Yes, hold people accountable. But have freedom. Yes, have order, but have freedom. I want to read to you what what Moses said regarding this, just as we end this off. This is in Numbers 11, verse 29. Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? I would let all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses understood that there is going to come a time that he is looking forward to, that he wishes he could be a part of, that he felt was going to come. That day was Acts chapter 2, the first Shavuot fulfillment. That is the time we are living in. But you need to understand that that means that there must be us giving other people grace and freedom and encouragement in the practice of spiritual gifts, including the miraculous ones, the ones that our flesh dislike most. We will never have, listen to me, we will never have a Shavuot again, as in the book of Acts chapter 2, unless we are willing to evaluate and set aside all the many complicated burdens and extra mammae teachings we have bolted onto the Holy Spirit and His spiritual gifts and all of the assumptions we have crafted regarding what is it supposed to look like always for this or that to happen. We must understand that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of order. God is a God of order. But at the same time, he does things outside the box sometimes. He does some things, some things sometimes in ways that we did not expect him to move. And we must allow him to move in that way. For if we don't, he is an all or nothing Holy Spirit. He says, you allow me in your congregation. You allow me control. You allow me to do what I do best or I don't move the way I would move otherwise. The question is going to be, what will you do this Shavuot? Father, I pray, Lord, regarding everyone, every house listening to this today. I pray, Lord, Lord, we desire a, an outpouring of your Holy Spirit like never before. Lord, we desire for you to bring about a revival, Lord. We desire for people to be brought into the gospel. We desire for you to pour out spiritual gifts upon your body so we can worship you in spirit and in truth. But Father, we ask, Lord, that you would illuminate all of the burdens that we believe in regarding your 
spirit, the things that are not of you, things that are not of your word. Father, we ask that you would show us what is the purity of your spirit and how your spirit desires to move. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on every house listening to this. Lord, I pray, Father, for an increase of anointing. Father, I pray, Lord, for freedom in people listening to this. Lord, we speak to every lying spirit, every religious spirit at the sound of my voice. We speak to congregations that everyone represents who's listening to this today. And I pray for the pastors and the leaders. I pray, Lord, that we get new vision, new sight about who your Holy Spirit is and how you desire to move. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Hey, brothers and sisters, I hope that this teaching has blessed you. I want to say a special thank you to our partners who have made this teaching and every other teaching this month possible. If you want to partner with us, you can find out more about how on riseonfire.com. Thank you and shalom. <laughs>